Hey everybody, this is Tony with the Ramcheck Podcast, and a lot of our listeners, including ourselves, have uh, found ourselves in kind of an interesting situation over the last couple of weeks. With everything that's going on outside, of course, social distancing, self-isolation, self-quarantine, whatever you want to call it, uh, a lot of us are having to stay indoors. That is, of course, unless you're Owis, who's out spotting at some remote location with his command center in the middle of nowhere. Well, your friends here at the Ramcheck Podcast were able to give you something to do while you're sitting inside. We were able to spend about an hour and a half with one of our friends of the Ramcheck Podcast, Major J. Fast Durfler, uh, decided to sit down with us, share some pretty cool stories, and uh, some updates on what he's doing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this special edition of the Ramp Check Podcast. People like you, organizations like Ramp Check, I love you guys. So, on the phone, again, it is our treat to have on Major J. Fast Durfler on. Air Force pilot, Air Force fighter pilot, uh, as you guys have known, we... Uh, we had a podcast with him last year that was awesome. Uh, we got lots of great feedback from from that podcast, and it's our honor to have him on again. So welcome, Fast. Thanks. It's good to be here. Sorry it took so long to make this happen again. Geez, I know you're you're you know, gosh, <laughs> <laughs> you actually act like you've been studying or something. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and and Aaron said. Aaron says again, like like you're on with us every single week. So, uh, <laughs> no, we we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to uh, spend some more time with us. Um, you know the the two times that we've had you on the podcast. You know, first over um, Warriors over the Wasatch uh, with you, and of course your wife Lauren, and then of course the uh, the hour and a half that you spent with us uh, on the podcast. They're they're two of our most popular. Uh, episode. So thank you again. Nice. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, great. So, so yeah, um, you're not in Utah anymore. Last time we spoke to you, you were still in Utah. Um, you've moved on from Hill Air Force Base. And uh, how's life? And what are you doing right now? Yeah, it is boo. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, have, I have moved. Uh, I no longer wake up to the mountains. I wake up to humid, sticky air and bugs everywhere and oh, the great south that is Alabama. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's certainly not Utah, but uh, it's been good thus far. Um, I think the worst part about it, honestly, is just not getting to fly uh, while I'm out here. It's been really tough. Um, Maxwell Air Force Base, where I'm going to school right now, is uh, they have a couple C-130s, a guard unit out here. Uh, uh -huh. But there's also an F-16 guard unit at Danley Field, which is uh, co-base with uh, the Montgomery Airport. But they, oh, okay. have, they come into Maxwell every once in a while and do some approaches and a couple patterns. And I have to just hear it in class while I'm talking about <laughs> some book I was supposed to read the <laughs> night before and didn't. And, oh, man. Uh, yeah, but it's... 
It's been good. It's a lot of uh, extra time, I'd say. I'm not near as busy as I was. I can kind of yeah. manage my time how I want to. I spend several about half the day in class, and then the other half is my own time to read and write, whatever I need to get done. So that's been good, spending some more time with Lauren and getting to hang out. Nice. Um, so, so uh, Jay, what is... Um what is I, I had to laugh at your social media post. You posted a couple pictures of like how you went from the cockpit to and you posted a picture of like yeah. a chair with a bunch of books around <laughs> it and uh, yeah. saying you miss you miss flying. Um what what is your timetable or your plans to get back in the cockpit or is that uh you know, where are you at in that process? Well, it's not for sure yet. Uh the usual progression about this time in a pilot's Air Force career is once they get done with this school, they'll either go back to the plane they were flying or they will go to a staff position is what we call them. So there's several jobs throughout uh, all branches of the military where you're in a staff role, whether it's advising higher level people within the military or even civilian side of things. Um, a lot of jobs at the Pentagon, different combatant commanders, whether it be PACAF or CENTCOM or all those big places where it just requires a lot of people to get the day in and day out job done, mm -hmm. you go mm -hmm. fill those positions. Uh, so of those two paths, whether you go back to flying or going to staff, a staff job, if you go to flying, you will then have to go to a staff job eventually. It's very rare that you get a flying assignment every assignment in your career nowadays. Uh -huh. So for me, um, leaving Utah and going to school, you get somewhat of an idea of where you might be going afterwards, whether which route uh, you'll be going. And I kind of got the impression from my leadership that I'd probably be going to a staff job right after. Uh, mm -hmm. The usual progression for fighter pilots after this, if they go back to flying, is quickly fill in a DO, a director of operations role, which is kind of the second in command in a squadron, followed mm -hmm. quickly thereafter by a squadron command tour and um for whatever i mean we don't have a whole lot of f-35 squadrons right now there's not a lot of uh positions to be had just yeah. different timing with what i've done thus far in my career and whatnot it just seemed like i'd be going to a staff job so uh, that's kind of what i was expecting uh but there's another school here at maxwell um that's somewhat competitive to get into. Um, it's an advanced studies group. It's called SAS. I don't know if y'all have heard of it, uh, <laughs> but it's not. a school of advanced air and space studies. It's another year long school, another master's degree program. Uh, wow. But I went ahead and applied for that. Uh, not that I love school. I actually despise it. <laughs> uh, I can't think of the only thing I think in life that I would rather not do is run. So between those two, um, those are about the two worst things in life, but I applied to school for a couple of reasons. One, it's an amazing opportunity. Um, yeah, there's about 25 or 30 active duty air force, uh, they go to this school every year and then they f fill in pretty key and influential staff roles throughout the air force world worldwide. Um, mm -hmm. so it's yeah. a great opportunity. Uh, it would stretch me a lot, help me grow a lot. And then on the other side, Lauren, uh, we were blessed to get an amazing job for her out here. She's working for a private pediatric practice out here and has absolutely loved her job, loves the people that she works with. And 
Well, oh, Alabama good. is certainly no Utah. It was a great <laughs> gig yeah. for her to continue to work, especially right out of residency. So yeah. long story short, I applied to that. I was fortunate enough uh, to get selected for that. So we'll be oh, sticking wow. around Alabama for another year. Well, oh, congratulations. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Both. congratulations, and I'm sorry because I'm <laughs> reading more books and writing more papers. But yeah, uh, they actually call it the book a book a day club. Uh, they oh, read wow. almost a book a day. Oh my goodness! Um, write wow. a bunch of papers. I'm going to be finishing the whole course with a 80 to 100 page paper I have to write on some big topic. So wow, um, it's gonna it's gonna test me, but um, it's going to be good in the long run. So. Yeah. So, so after that, I'll probably go to a staff tour for about two years and then back to the jet. Oh, oh then back okay. to the jet. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I was going to say, so that that's good. So a couple of things I want to ask you. First off, that, that picture that you uh, put up today on social media yeah. was awesome. So uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, what's on that computer next to the lounger. Is it flight sim? Or are you trying to keep current that way? Or uh, it, it dep- <laughs> I don't remember what hour it was into writing that paper, depending on uh, what hour it was. It was either a blank Word document or <laughs> pictures of planes on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what point I was at during that. And ho- hopefully so, the, uh, the ramp check global Instagram. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Exactly. So when you're, when you're in class like this, so I guess, um, so you haven't flown at all or you haven't been behind the the stick quote unquote at all since you left Hill Air Force Base, correct? Correct. Yeah. My last flight was actually, uh, if y'all remember back in the summer, the runway was closed for quite a while Mm -hmm. there in Utah. So, um, I actually got my last flight in late June with the Rams, the 34th Fighter Squadron, when they deployed up to Mountain Home to Mountain fly Home. while our runway was closed at Hill. So I got my last flight into June up there at Mountain Home. And nice. so are you – so you'll eventually get back in the airplane. Is there is there a certain level of, of currency that you need to maintain between now and then, or you're just not flying at all until the assignment comes back? Not flying at all. Um, that's one of those things that us fighter pilots say, if we ever get to a position where we can make decisions, uh, this may be one of them that we make. And that's just allowing pilots to stay somewhat current through this whole year for a couple different reasons. One, mm-hmm. I'm going to be out of the jet so long. I'm going to have to go back to a TX, uh, a requalification course. And it's a lot of money and a lot of time and another TDY where I'm potentially away from my family. And so there's that piece of it. But the motivation mm-hmm. factor, too, this is a crucial time in pilots' careers where they're right around the decision, if they haven't already made it, to either get out or stay in more than likely for a full 20 years. And so just mm-hmm. the motivation piece, I would be, I think the general pilot would be much more apt to choose to stay in if they were continuing to do what they loved instead of set it, set it aside for one, potentially three or four years. When you're in charge, then you can make that change. How's yeah. that? Yeah. If, if I'm in charge one day, I'm going to look into <laughs> it. They're actually looking into it right now, just with the pilot fighter pilot specific shortage that they have right now and the budget mm-hmm. costs or cuts and whatnot. They're looking at bringing it uh, real soon, within the next year or two, potentially allowing pilots to leave, whether it's once a month, once a quarter, something, just to maintain enough currency 
so that when they're done, instead of going back to, in my case, Luke or Eglin, where the F-35 training units are and getting a whole yeah. other course, I yeah. could just return to whatever base, whether it be Hill or Alson up in Alaska, and they can give me a little spin-up small training program in-house so it's not away from my family and stuff. So mm -hmm. they're looking into it. Nice. So, so speaking, speaking of being in charge, um, Aaron introduced you as major, uh, Jay Durfler. Is it, is it still major? It or, is still we, major. Are there, so there's, so there's no, uh, no silver oak leaves on the lapels no. yet, huh? No, not yet. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So all that, all my stuff, I don't know how much I'll pay attention to the administrative side of, of the Air Force at all, or I've heard any articles, but Lieutenant Colonel, so from Major to Lieutenant Colonel, was the first opportunity for you to put potentially promote early. So below uh -huh. the zone is what we call it. They actually uh -huh. took all of that away this year. There's no more below the zone opportunities. Uh, big restructuring of how we promote officers in the Air Force, a lot for the good. Uh, uh -huh. But anyway, I'm in my zone anyway, so it really didn't affect me. So Okay. My records went up. I was, I got an email from my squadron commander here at school today, actually saying that part of that process was completed today and I should be getting an individual email giving me some update. I don't know if it's whether I or not I got selected or what the update is, but regardless, I have not gotten the email. So <laughs> oh, um, wow. I'll have to send a, uh, a gripey email to the personnel system and, and tell them to get with it, but. Do you, do you have alerts? Do you have alerts selected on your phone? Because, uh, you know, we'd love to uh, provide some breaking news. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I will. I will check it. <laughs> and let y'all know if I get anything. That's funny. That's funny. Um, so, Fast, I, um, I have a question about the schooling that's going on. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's it's extremely important for, you know, your continued career in the Air Force. And what... What types of things are you learning there at school right now? And what can listeners like expect if they want to join the military, they want to be a pilot and they want to continue their career in the Air Force? And, you know, some interesting, maybe give us some interesting tidbits, like what you're picking up there while, while you're in school right now. Um, well, the structure of the course, it's the first course for officers uh, that has any substantial length of time. For instance, back when I was a mm -hmm. lieutenant, they no longer have this course, but they had, uh, airspace basic course, ASBC. They no longer have that for lieutenants. They realize inviting a bunch of straight out of college kids to live by themselves in a college style dorm with not very difficult curriculum wasn't the best idea. Um, <laughs> usually a huge party, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. they did away with that. And then they, they still have squadron officer school for captains. It's about a month and a half long. So this is the first mm -hmm. opportunity for them um, to get a group of people. Usually, like I said earlier, at this time in your career, you've kind of made the decision to stick it out for the long haul. So it's a bunch of dedicated officers who are invested in the Air Force and want to have huge impact. So it's a year long. It's a master's degree at the end of it. And it kind of walks us through from the very basics of war theory, talking about like Clausewitz and John Germany, those very like base level war theorists that hmm. people all over the world has been pulling tidbits from uh, for mm -hmm. 
decades. And so we kind of learned the basis of war and ethical war and just war and those kind of things. And then that first quarter, along with that, we also have a course in leadership, just understanding who you are as a leader, who you want to be as a leader, uh, pulling stuff from other people within your class, and then uh, lectures as well. So for every course, we usually have a lecture followed by what we call a seminar, which is breaking down into our homeroom. You could kind of think of it uh, about 12 people and you kind of dig a little deeper, get to know each other, bounce ideas off of each other. So we start out with that war theory and leadership, and then we go into air power history, kind of where we came from as an air force, what makes air power different from fighting on land or in the ocean? What are those special capabilities that we can offer? How do we tie them into a, a larger picture strategy and then integrate in a joint mindset with the other services? And then when wow. we're doing that, that second quarter, we also get introduced to international security is what we call the course. But it's a basic understanding of how other nation states and even groups of people who aren't countries uh, potentially mm-hmm. interact with each other around the world. I think that was the most eye-opening for me. Everything up to that point had either been history or at least for the leadership one, stuff that wasn't necessarily eye-opening for me. I, I kind of uh-huh. heard it before. It's good to hear again and kind of think through a little bit of how I act with people. But yeah. for international security, that was the first thing for me that was... Um, it was intriguing. I, I hadn't really thought about that. I had, and they say like, once you get to this school, you're no longer in the tactical realm, like getting really good at flying the F-35 in my case, you now have to <laughs> think bigger picture. And, and f- for me, that was when it kind of hit is when I started looking at other countries and how we interact with them and why they do the things they do. And All then right. the third quarter, we just build on both of those courses. So we, have air power to and international security to where we just build on those and see how we use air power. And, uh, ever since world war two, Vietnam, um, desert storm, Korea, all the way through Afghanistan. And then in the international security side, we just dive deeper into, um, uh, how countries may or may not be rational actors and how, bureaucracies get in the way or organizational barriers. So uh, it's been a good progression. Like I said, the history part hasn't been as interesting to me, uh, but the other stuff has been great. So having all that knowledge obviously is amazing for any kind of staff position or, you know, whatever the next, you know, position is for, I mean, that's wow. (laughs) Exactly. So this last course that we take is joint war fighting. And Mm -hmm. it's a course kind of bringing all that base knowledge that we've learned and preparing us to go out into a staff position and help plan or organize campaigns, strategy, all that stuff. So it's kind of a culmination of all those things. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's deep stuff. I would imagine those courses are really interesting. That's crazy. They they are. (laughs) And I think one of the coolest parts, at least for me, well, there's two cool things uh, that I am getting out of this school by being here at this school. And that's Uh one, the interaction between the international officers. We have over 65 different nations 
mm-hmm. have an individual here going to the school. Oh, wow. And my uh, seminar, oh, wow. my 12-person oh, okay. seminar alone, I had one of only 34 fighter pilots in Colombia. Hearing his oh, stories wow. were crazy interesting. I mean, just to give you an idea, like, they hardly, he flies the Kafir. Um, okay. And yeah. it's just a totally different world. Like, I, in the U.S. Air Force, go to train, like, it, at Hill Air Force Base. I would go in, train, get ready to go to war. At some di- point, I would then go to war, Afghanistan, Syria, wherever. But yeah. for him, their war is a daily war, and it's in their own country. So he said, like, when he's flying, he goes into work thinking he's going to fly a 2v2 training sortie. He was an instructor, and he'd have a student or whatever. And he gets into work that day, and they're like, actually, no, we just got intel on this one high-level FARC guy, and we got his position. We just loaded your plane up with two laser-guided bombs, and we need you to go kill him. It's just a totally different mindset. And then he (laughs) he lands, and he goes home. And hopefully his wife has dinner cooked and he hangs out with his kids. It's just a totally different life. (laughs) So here in that perspective, and then I also had a guy from Bahrain in my flight. Um, So his perspective is totally different. Smack dab in the middle of all those different hostilities going on. And hearing his perspective of both other countries and his perspective of what he sees the U.S. doing in the area and stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's been really good. And then just hearing the other people who aren't pilots like everybody else in the air force, which is the vast majority of people and mm-hmm. just hearing their perspectives. Um, it's amazing what some of those guys and girls are doing and their respected, uh, respective jobs and the impacts they're having. So it's been wow. good. So this course, so it's a, it's a, Oh, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah. Go ahead, Tony. No, 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 no. Okay. Go ahead. I, I, I keep throwing Tony. questions <laughs> at him because it's so cool to hear. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I want to hear, we definitely want to hear some stories, too. One question that I have is, so this track that that you're presently on, um, you had mentioned earlier that, um, uh, you know, the the quote-unquote lifers, as far as the officers go, this is kind of a natural progression for them once you reach that point that you've decided you're going to stick it out for the long term. Is this... Is this something that you actually apply for and get accepted to, or is this is is this actually an assignment? Um, to, to, uh, to, it is something you apply okay. to. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Finish oh no, question. so um, that's that's actually what I was going to say. So you, so you, what you're telling me is you consciously made the decision to not fly airplanes. Then is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> In a roundabout way. If you want to put words into my mouth, go ahead. Tony. No, no, I'm totally uh, kidding. No, it's uh, it, no, yeah, in a roundabout. No, way. it sounds like just an amazing opportunity to me. I was just curious how, you know, because when I was in the Air Force, you know, um, when you know different assignments or opportunities came out, you know, it was first and foremost, it's the needs of the Air Force, and then secondly, you know, you would. You know, through your, um, you know, on the enlist- enlisted side, you would have your AFSC and, you know, you're, you would be in that AFSC for a certain period of time until you decided to either extend and either, you know, upgrade or continue in that career field or select a new one. So I was just curious. Um, you're not necessarily changing career fields, uh, which I understand. It's just, this is just another opportunity for you 
to further your career with the Air Force. Correct. Yeah, it's almost, I, I don't want to say it's the only opportunity to further my, further my career, but it is one of those, um, essentially a prerequisite to make Lieutenant Colonel come into the school. So, um, almost everyone does apply unless they know they're going to be getting out of the Air Force in a, in a year or two that everyone pretty much applies, um, because it is almost a requirement to go on to Lieutenant Colonel. There's very few exceptions, but um, those people who get selected without going to school are like the golden child of the Air Force, mm -hmm. weapons officer, instructor, like all that. Um, so pretty much everybody does go. And so because everybody applies, uh, it was it was an honor to get selected to go to school. Not everybody gets to go. So it was one of those things, if I wanted to stick it, stick it out and stay in for at least 20, uh, which I was wanting to do is those, one of those necessary evils. Gotcha. Well, okay. I think um, we can't forget as well, as far as this next year assignment that he applied for, um, the most important part was that you kept Lauren happy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, that's easy to do though. She, she's, Awesome. She's totally on board. She'll do whatever um, she can to help me out and achieve my goals and stuff. So it, it's easy to do. She's no, awesome. That's awesome. Make sure that's you cool. her high from us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and speak, speaking of Lauren, like, how's everything going now that she's a doctor and she might be around this COVID-19 stuff? Is everything good? How's she doing? Well, Yes and no. Um, uh, she's good. She's still working, uh, her normal schedule. Yeah. Uh, that being said, Alabama was one of the last states to, to have a confirmed case. Uh, yeah. I have no doubt in my mind that it was around a lot longer before they announced it, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. we were the last ones to have a confirmed case. So we're kind of behind the time, not behind the timeline, but just our progression is a little bit behind all the other states. So we recently, decided the governor decided no eating in restaurants or mass gatherings yeah. and all that good stuff. So she's yeah. been going to work. It's a little bit different being a pediatrician in this situation. Right. One, because 80 to 90% of her patients come in with a fever and a cough every day anyway. And so <laughs> yeah, it's right. kind of hard right. to distinguish uh, without <laughs> testing everyone. Um, and then two, it's just not affecting kids as much. Uh, their symptoms yeah. aren't as severe. And so it's kind of this unknown, like she'll go into work and see all these patients and see these parents. Um, but she just doesn't know what is there and what isn't and what she's yeah, exposed right. to and what she isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but she, she's doing well. I think initially when she first went back to work, um, when all this stuff started coming down, I think she was more worried than she is now. I don't want to speak for her, but just in what yeah. I've observed from her, she's kind of gotten in a routine now and understands it a little bit more. Everybody's being more cautious at the practice and yeah. so it's gotten better. Good. Well, you're in the right climate for killing the, the virus because supposedly this virus does not like heat. <laughs> and so yeah. we just need a super hot spring and summer to really help everything out. And, uh, they're yeah, Alabama, well, if you lived that's... here last summer like I did, you wouldn't yeah. be saying that as easily. Uh, all we need is a really hot, yeah. humid summer. Uh, but no, yeah, hopefully that is the case. A, a, a few people are pointing that out, and yeah. hopefully that is the case. And 
maybe we can just get a round of really hot air down here and yeah, kill everything right. and then go on to normal stuff. Yeah, geez. Yeah, that's crazy. Oof. Man, um so with with all you know, all this talk, you're in Alabama, you're in school, you're all this. So so we we have to ask you and we have to point this out that you are the recipient for the Anthony mm. C. Shine Award. And and we've got to hear about that from you because um you know, we weren't there when you received the award, but we saw the video. I think was it who was it that posted the video of it on YouTube? Was it your sister or, or I was think it... my sister did. Uh, okay. And then I think Lauren ended up posting it also, mm -hmm. but I think my sister okay. was the first one. Okay. But, but I mean, I got to tell you, it, it was really cool to watch that and, and, and to see you receive that and, and like, Oh wow, that's cool. That's, that's fast. He's our, he's our friend. And look at this. He, yeah. he was like picked out of however many, you know, fighter pilots there are in the air force. Uh, you know, for la was it was it a twenty nineteen award or twenty eighteen? I forget. I'm sorry, I don't have it. In front of no, me. it's fine. It was a twenty eighteen award. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, okay, and they gave it to you in twenty nineteen. Got it. Correct. Yeah. So, um, what, what what was that like? Because obviously, to receive an award like that, and I know you know we we've chatted a little bit about it, you know, off the podcast and. What was it like for you to receive that? And, and maybe just give the listeners, you know, a quick rundown of exactly what the award is and why they give it out every year. Yeah. So the Anthony C. Shine Award is given to, it's kind of a two part award, both it's only given to fighter pilots. So you have to be a fighter pilot um, mm -hmm. to receive it or even be nominated. And then, so it's just, doing well at that. And then the other piece is community service, um, just based on what Anthony Shine stood for and, and what he uh, enjoyed doing and what he made a priority. His family, after his passing, decided to focus the award on that too. Um, so it's given once a year. It's one of the few, what we call in the Air Force, an Air Force level award, meaning that only one recipient is picked at the highest level of all the air force. Um, mm -hmm. so needless to say, it was, um, an amazing honor to receive and one. I definitely do not feel deserving of, um, there are so many great dudes and dudettes out there, fighter pilots who are amazing, much better fighter pilots than I am and do a lot in the community. So the fact that I got it, uh, just blew my mind. It was kind of a, <laughs> I'll just kind of tell you the quick progression of it. I found uh -huh. out. So the way these Air Force level awards work is each squadron at a wing will nominate one person, one fighter pilot from their squadron as their nomination up to the wing level. And then the wing commander determines from those squadrons who he thinks the best person is to move on to the next level to represent his base. And so... Mm. I found out right before I left Utah that I was going to be the Hill Air Force Base nominee to go up to the next level to compete against other people for this. Oh, and wow. then the next level up is numbered Air Force, which uh, for us has a few wings in it, Mountain Home, a uh, couple other wings. But at that level, I didn't know that I had won at that level because I am now moving to Alabama and all that stuff is going on. But then I got a a letter 
in the in the mail here in Alabama, and it was a letter from General Holmes, the Air Combat Command uh, commander, oh, wow. four star general. And he said, yeah. I just want to congratulate you as being selected as the Air Combat Command nominee for uh, the Shine Award to go up to the Air Force level. Wow. Oh, well, wow. I was like, what in the world? Like, how? <laughs> I had no idea. Why am I at this level? I do not deserve to be at this level. Oh, yes, um, you do. Stop being so So I was like there, super, I, I, thought, I thought it was super cool that I got that. But I also, yeah. in a way, thought that maybe he sent me that congratulations letter. No, I'm sorry. That letter was not that I was the ACC nominee. That was that I was one of the people submitted to ACC. So that's how I found out I won at the, tw- oh, okay. the next level. But anyway, I thought because he was sending me that letter, it was basically saying, good job getting this far, but this is as far <laughs> as you're going. So it was yeah. a... It was a really cool letter and it was awesome, but I didn't think anything of it. And then, I don't know, maybe a week or two later, I go in to school. We have our big lecture in the big lecture hall. And then we split up to our individual classrooms of the 12 people or whatever. And mm-hmm. we had just got in, uh, got a new squadron commander for the student squadron that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And he was a F-15 guy. Um instructor at weapon school, great dude, but he had only been there for a couple of days. I hadn't met him yet. He hadn't even met everybody at the school. So I get back to my classroom and everybody's standing up at attention. I'm the last one to get there. And I'm like, what is going on? So I like rush in there real quick. And the squadron commander that who we haven't met yet is in there. And I'm thinking he's just going around to each class to introduce himself. And so I quickly go back to my chair and stand at attention. He was like, fast actually i want you to come up here for a second i was like oh gosh <laughs> i was late oh, no. he's calling me out uh, so i go back up there because i was late to class i go back up there and he looks at everybody else and he basically said i don't know um if in many of you have heard about the shine award but it's a huge deal in the fighter pilot community it stands for this and that and just wanted to let y'all know i just received an email that fast was uh, selected as the Air Force level recipient of the award. I was like, what in the world? Like, two weeks ago, I got this letter thinking I was done and there was no yeah. more, uh, chance to go up higher. And he announced it. I was blown away. I was Dang, man. It was such that's an honor. Awesome. Such an honor. Now, yeah. you weren't, uh, you well, weren't you late know, to mean, the j- ceremony, were you? <laughs> no, no, I was early to that. Okay, that's good. I was early. That's funny. Well, every. Everything that that we've seen from you and and everything you've done for us, I mean, you're certainly deserving of that award. Definitely, definitely. Well, it's uh, I, I appreciate it. I mean, I know y'all really well, and y'all know how important my faith is to me, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I really do yeah. think that anything good that I'm capable of is is not for me. It's just blessings and gifts that I've been given, and so I just hope that I can use those to the best of my ability and have a yeah. good impact on people and we'll see. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, I mean, well you're, you're definitely doing that, man. That, that's cool. And, and, um, so, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, um, shine, I guess. And I, I was looking a little bit of his background, but he, he was, um, an F one Oh five pilot in Vietnam. Is that, is that right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) I was just going to say those F-105 missions over Vietnam, those were rough. There were so many F-105s that were lost. A whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, and it didn't. Yeah. It's definitely not like today taking off on a flight in Afghanistan and really not even having a second thought about you or your buddies getting home safely. Um, Well, and it totally it didn't help that you could hear the thud from like 100 miles away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was a loud airplane because it's a big plane. Well, and if you if it was. Yeah, the F-105 doesn't have the I believe button. (laughs) No. No, no, definitely doesn't. Oh, well, you know, the the funny thing about the F-105, though, is they actually had to put a radar deflector on the nose gear. So when it was inbound, it could be picked up on radar, though. So in a little bit of a way, it had some stealth. (laughs) Yeah, for those ancient radars they had. Right. Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Um. So let's see, Ryan or Tony, do you have anything to jump in? I I have to ask fast uh, a question about uh, Elon Musk. So okay, well, how about <laughs> hey, real quick, hold on one second, Tony. Real quick, funny story on uh, yes. receiving that uh-huh. award. So okay. oh, yeah. all my family after it's done is like, hey, as soon as they put out an article about it, we want a copy of it. Blah blah blah. Uh, I got interviewed. Um, Colleen Shine, Anthony Shine's daughter, who is kind of push oh, wow, this whole cool. movement for uh, POWMIA and attends every ceremony around uh, the world each year for this. She's awesome. But um, she interviewed both of us or we got interviewed and then they were going to make this article and put it out. And so my family had been asking for it. And uh, finally, I was notified that this article was posted. And so I went to the article to see, uh, just read it, to see what it said real quick, see how bad they uh, misquoted <laughs> me and whatnot. But the funny thing was they put in a little snippet. Um, clearly, the person writing it was not super familiar with airplanes oh, gosh. Uh, and past wars. Because oh, in yeah. the snippet about... Uh, Captain Anthony Shine. It said in 1972, then Captain Anthony Shine disappeared uh, above the border of North Vietnam and Laos in his F-35. Uh, oh, and so <laughs> this went out to everyone, the masses, oh, no. and it talked about how this Captain Shine uh, got shot down in his F-35 in <laughs> Vietnam back in the 70s. Now, my family. Oh, wow. My uh, my family had a huge laugh about that, and Lauren always points out the fact that it says he disappeared because yeah. <laughs> it was a stealth aircraft. That's right. Right. So yeah, he hit the he hit that believe button. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, you you can uh, you can answer this next question officially or not, but uh, is this a uh, capability of the F thirty five that we don't know about? Time travel. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. Time travel. Yeah, it's been around yeah. forever. That's actually. the super it's belief crazy. button. Um, <laughs> yeah, you thought the F one seventeen was a first death fighter. It was a thirty five back in the sixties. <laughs> yeah. So, Aaron, I'm oh, going to let you. Funny. Aaron, I'm going to let you ask Anthony yeah. ask your question yeah. first because mine might require a little bit longer answer. Oh, okay. Okay, so. Um, there was there there was um a symposium going on that you had recently attended, and yep. uh, at that symposium there was a certain somebody 
named Elon Musk, which most people I'm sure know that name. He's pretty much a household name now with his, you know, Tesla brand and, you know, dealing with SpaceX and all this, but he had something interesting to say. And, uh, we wanted to get your opinion on his actual opinion that the era of the fighter pilot is over. So take it away. I got to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Take it away. Uh, it was funny. I was sitting in the audience, uh, Everyone at the symposium, they had different speakers throughout the three days we were there. Mm -hmm. uh, but no one uh, pulled the audience that Elon Musk did. Everyone there uh, was at this talk. So it was super crowded. Um, mm -hmm. And he had some pretty interesting things to say other than that. A couple of the quotes got highlighted like that one. But he had some other yeah. good ones that I don't think... Uh, the Air Force leaders there were necessarily ready for it. I mean, he's one that speaks his mind quite a bit <laughs> yeah, he and uh, he can does. go off on tangents and stuff. Um, so whenever he, he brought up that point, everybody who I was sitting around who knew me looked at me and they're like, oh, you're done. Get out of here. We have no need for you. Just started making yeah. jokes. I never heard the end of them throughout the rest of the conference, but. Uh -huh. uh, it was an interesting, it was an interesting talk. I mean, we, in, in our course that we're going through this year, we mm -hmm. learn about times kind of like this in the past. I mean, before we were even flying, um, aircraft in war of any kind of conflict of any kind, people thought it was silly and that we wouldn't be doing it. And then as it started kind of to evolve, there were some people who said that we could win an entire war just by using air power and that we didn't mm -hmm. need guys on the ground and the land component and the na naval component. We could win an entire war with just the Air Force. And so it's kind of like that in my mind. That's kind of how I thought about it right away is, uh -huh. okay, like I'll give it to you that we're going somewhere um, and it's going to look a lot different than right now. But just as I don't think you can win a war with just air power and not other people on the ground and doing other things. I, I don't think that it it's over to the extent that you will never need us or use us again. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. I think, I think when you just take it at face value and he said that essentially our time is over, then it's a pretty bold statement, but just hearing the rest of what he said, I think yeah. it was more of like an intellectual thought. We, he talked a lot. This was very interesting. He talked a lot about innovation uh, while we were there and how yeah. if we do just stay where we are, someone else is going to come up with something bigger and better. And we're, we're going to be caught out in the open with not knowing what to do. And so I think it was more along that path, mm -hmm. but um, mm -hmm. I, I have not ceased to receive jokes and um, hazing about that comment and trying to like, people are like, Hey, I'm hot. We're hiring in this, like selling dump trucks job. If you need another job now that you're no use. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you'd be it, a it truck driver, though. you know, like from top gun yeah, truck driver's school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Rubber. What is it? Uh, I can't remember. The I know. I know. What yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's, that's, that's funny. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you, you know, you hear him talk about, um, you know, the symposium and, and one of the main things that he was kind of talking about is, you know, he was criticizing the F 35 project, you know, 
um, yeah, you know, quite a bit. And, and that, that, that was kind of his argument. It's like, well, it's this, you know, huge, you know, the largest, um, I think it was the largest, and maybe you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but it is the largest Department of Defense acquisition ever, isn't it? The F-35? Yep, yep. in yeah. the world. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, you know, he, he was just arguing that, you know, a lot of those funds could, you know, should be used for technology that, you know, unmanned and, you know, you, you could, you know, you could have an unmanned fighter out there, but it's just, gosh, you know, like you were saying, when, when you look at history and, and you look at, you know, it's just like when, um, when McDonnell Douglas built the F4 without a cannon because they're like, oh, yeah. everything's going to be beyond visual range and, you're never going to need a gun in a, in a jet fighter again. And then <laughs> look what happened in Vietnam. And it's like, you know, boom, F-16 has a cannon, F-15 has a cannon, all these jets coming, yep. you know, designed out of Vietnam. And so it's, you can't really take a pilot out of the cockpit in a combat situation like that, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I flew on a couple of missions in Afghanistan um, and I kind of look back on those missions when stuff like this comes up, like what, what would it look like if they were yeah. just drones and stuff? And um, there's some decisions that have to be made that, I mean, who knows with AI, artificial intelligence and where it'll be in 10, 20 years, who knows? But yeah. in what I see right now and, what I went through, whether it was emotionally or just objectively while I was in the air and about to drop a 500 pound bomb, mm -hmm. it, there's some things that I just don't think that you will ever be able to do with a computer. So, yeah, well, I agree. And yeah. I, I think tough. a lot of this also, it gets talked about just because of who it was that said it, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there oh, yeah. that have made statements like this and people don't really give it any traction, but, but because of the, where he was and the platform he had and what he said, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of mm. a big deal to a lot of people, but you know, I mean, I look at it and, and as, as I think about it, I mean, I'm just an av geek that, loves aviation and I, I patriotic and I love my country and I obviously love the air force and, and all the military, but so it kind of realistically just kind of pissed me off when he said it, but I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just like, no one cares that it pissed me yeah. off. I'm just a guy that's like, Hey, I don't ever want to hear you speak like that, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. If you were at the whole talk though, I think it, you would definitely definitely have a different perspective. I yeah. Real quick into his talk, probably three or four minutes into the talk, I quickly realized that I am not going to hang on every word he says, mm -hmm. and that he is very opinionated and um knows a lot. He's brilliant, uh, by the way, right. but um, he does like to make very provocative statements, and whether it's just to be provocative or because. That's just how his mind works. And he thinks mm -hmm. way differently than everybody mm -hmm. else. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't as, it was offensive, but it was not as offensive as I think uh, some people may take it out of context. Well, and I've seen, yeah. I've seen a couple of the, um, like the live YouTube feeds on from SpaceX, you know, for different events. And he's yeah. like narrating or hosting these events. And you can just tell 
that he just has a different thought process than everybody else, just by the way he he speaks and handles himself. Oh yeah, it's yeah. It was an awesome opportunity to see him in person. Yeah, it really I was. bet it was yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah. I have a lot more respect for him, a different respect for him uh, than I did. I mean, he had great, great one-liners um, throughout the entire <laughs> talk. The three-star general interview, you know, uh, maybe it was a four-star. I can't remember who it was, but. He asked them, like, what do we do in this day and age where intellectual property is being stolen all the time, whether it's other countries like China or whatever the case may be? How do we protect this stuff, this intellectual property? And he said, you don't you don't need to don't do it. <laughs> Everybody kind of laughed and the general kind of looked at him like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> I'm trying to get you to help us figure out how to be more secure with our classified material. And you're kind of blowing me off. Uh, but he said, no, think about it. You don't need to protect it if your speed of innovation is such that when other countries are copying you, they're copying old stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if you were uh-huh. so good at innovating, so good at coming up with new ideas and the latest, greatest thing, like if mm-hmm. China was stealing our F-35 and building them right now, but we had something that was way better than the F-35 being built right now, it wouldn't matter that they were still in that information. So. He had a couple really interesting, yeah, thought-provoking point. comments. That um, makes sense. Anyway, yeah, there's a, a reason he's building yeah. spaceships and rockets and <laughs> exactly. stuff. You know, yeah. you don't just do that if yeah. you're an average individual. So I'm sure that would have been cool to experience. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, his cars yeah. <laughs> are are kind of radical from you know just regular vehicles. His his uh, spaceships. I mean. Oh yeah. It's yeah. just like I don't think anybody oh, he, would even expect something to look like a nineteen forties TV show uh rocket ship, which is yeah, his, his 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 <laughs> these incredible machines that they're creating, they look like something from an old Flash Gordon TV series in they black do. and white. They do, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but then when he explains the concept and why it is what it is, it's fascinating that Oh yeah, it really so, is. So yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. What about wow? What an opportunity to to see him speak like that. That's pretty amazing. It was. Um, it was good. So my question for you is, um, when uh, when Aaron uh, let me know that uh, you guys were talking and we were going to get you on the podcast again, I went back and listened to the uh, about the hour and a half that we spent together on the last podcast. And um, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire here because I think we were talking about um, um, a couple of stories oh, no. of when you were flying in combat and you're like, oh, we might have to save that for another podcast. I've been chomping at the bit to hear something like that from you mm. just about those experiences. Nice. Same here. Yes. Same here. Um, were, were y'all planning on a three-hour podcast for this one? Hey, or, let's or, do or, it. Or <laughs> How much battery power do we have on our devices? <laughs> right. uh, I'm I'm like at twelve percent. Uh, I'll plug it in. I'll make the notes uh, 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 version then, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, if I go into too uh, too much of the weeds, just let me know. But um, there there was one mission in particular that stands out to me every year on its anniversary. I think about it. Um, I think about the people involved. It certainly hit me the hardest. 
and uh, it was certainly something I'll, I'll never forget. I was um, actually not on the schedule to fly that night. I was the backup pilot uh, in that in combat, every flight that's scheduled to fly needs to fly regardless. It's not like in training where we can cancel flights. So every mm-hmm. time period had a backup pilot. So if someone got sick or, or whatnot, you could jump in. And so uh, I got woken up in my in my room and said, hey, this, this pilot, I'm going to leave out a bunch of names just because oh, it doesn't matter sure. too much. But this pilot yeah. uh, wasn't able to fly for whatever reason. We need you to come in and fly. And... It, this is going to be hard to hear, but there are some times where you need a break and you may look forward to not flying, especially over there where it's so busy and you got so much stuff going on. And I thought, man, this was a day I was going to get this done and I was going to FaceTime with my family and I was going to mm-hmm. do laundry and get all the stuff done that I needed to. So initially I was a little frustrated. I was like, oh man, this guy, I'm sure nothing's wrong. He just doesn't want to fly or whatever. <laughs> So anyway, I went in a little frustrated, but I get in there and uh, I'm with the guy I'm paired up with. We flew us two ships in Afghanistan. Well, it was a brand new flight lead at the time. He's actually now a weapons officer graduate uh, in F-16s. I think he's still stationed at Shaw. Phenomenal pilot. Awesome oh, dude. Cool. Um, amazing guy. But at the time, he was a brand new flight lead, finished his flight lead upgrade right before he went to Afghanistan. And so... Um, I was an instructor pilot, so it was an easy thing putting me in there. Not that he needed an instructor pilot to fly with, uh, but we did like to have our less experienced guys and more experienced guys if we could do it. So anyway, we mm-hmm. got in there. We got the brief from Intel, as we always do before the flight, to figure out what we're doing. And we were initially scheduled uh, to do what we call XCAS, which is basically we take off, we hang out in a spot, uh, over Afghanistan somewhere and wait for a mission to need us. So we hadn't actually been assigned to a certain ground mission yet. No one uh, needed our support as of yet, but we we're going to take off and then go down there uh, when they called for us. But then right before we were going to go out to the airplanes and take off, Intel comes running out and they're like, hey, get back here quick. We got some info from you uh, for you. So we run back there. We need to take off, but we run back there. They brief us. They're like, we don't know what's going on. These are the coordinates of this operation that's going on. It was uh, down near Hellman, kind of southwest side of Afghanistan, a long ways away from where we were up at Bagram. They said, Mm -hmm. we don't know exactly. There's just this random traffic coming in. It sounds like chaos. We heard words of uh american soldiers being shot again we don't know but they need y'all down there quick they don't have any firepower at all so we're like oh gosh so we run out to the jets um start heading down there and along the way it was probably about a 40 minute flight or so 30 to 40 minute flight down there and Mm -hmm. on the way we got messages passed to us via our satcom radio more details about what was going on again it wasn't completely clear as to what's happening yeah. but it, within those messages we heard that there may be a downed helicopter there may be more people shot like it was not good oh, um wow. so my flight lead i'm the wingman the young flight lead was actually leading the flight um so he was doing a great job making all the right decisions getting down there positioning us well whenever we arrived uh usually on these missions we're airborne for anywhere from four to six hours. So we have to refuel quite a bit. And 
we do what we call yo-yo ops, and it's where we send one of the F-16s to go get gas while the other one stays overhead so they can continue to support the guys on the ground um, while the other one's getting gas. Mm-hmm. So we have to plan that out ahead of time because we take off with the same amount of gas. But we want usually we'll send someone to get gas right away before we even get there. So we're already in that process. But because we didn't know what was going on, I didn't feel comfortable letting him go by himself before we had a good grasp of what was going on. He thought the same thing. So we show up there uh, both at the same time. We get there and there's a predator, um, maybe two predators overhead, another ISR um, aircraft that was in the stack. The stack is just the aircraft stacked above the ground personnel at different altitudes Mm -hmm. so they don't run into each other. Um, there was a helicopter or two flying around and we switch over to what we call the fight frequency or fires sometimes is what we'll call the frequency. It's the frequency that the guys on the ground, the JTAC usually, uh, talks okay. to the aircraft on. And so that's how we get an idea of what's going on. We switched over to that frequency a couple, probably 20 miles away from where they were. And it was absolute chaos on the radio, like gunfire everywhere, people yelling, we oh, couldn't wow. get a word in edgewise. Like the hair on the back of our necks stood up like mine is doing right now. Like it was just one of those things Ooh. like, okay. Was this at night fast? Uh, this was during the day. Okay. This was a day flight. Um, this was one of those things where you were like, okay, all this training that I've done, I never thought it would get this difficult, uh, but I'm glad I'm going through this training we both quickly realized like, okay, this is, this is what we've been training for and yeah. uh, we need to make this happen. So we finally got um, a word in on the radio and told them we were checking in. And like from the minute they heard the Viper call sign, they were like, we need your bombs. How many bombs do you have? Like it was clear that the person talking to us knew what he was doing, but was extremely stressed out. Uh, and in between shooting his gun and everything was nuts. So through that first little bit of explanation, we found out that what was going on in that area, and we got a little bit of the backstory afterwards. Uh, but what was going on in that area is there was a small group of U.S. soldiers that were helping the Afghan army, uh, train advise assist, go through this village essentially and clear it. So go home to home, hut to hut, see who's regular Afghan people, who's Taliban, who's not, and basically clear the village. Well, in the process, they started taking fire and a couple Afghan people had been shot. And so they consolidated everybody who was spread out across this village into one location so they could coordinate for rescue and basically be more protected and get everybody out. Well, in the process, when the first two helicopters ca- came in to do the CASAVAC, uh, they started getting shot at. And um, one of the people in the back seat or back of the helicopter, one of the pararescue men actually took shrapnel in his neck and started bleeding wow. out in the helicopter. So one of the helicopters had to leave. Well, the people were just getting pounded at this one compound and couldn't get out. Like, they were just essentially trapped, but they had a couple casualties or people who were wounded on the ground that needed help now. And if they didn't, they weren't going to survive. One of which was uh, an American. 
And so they, the other helicopter tried to get in there over and over again because they needed to pick up these people. Well, most of the compounds in Afghanistan, we call them compounds. They're really a house or a small hut surrounded by a large uh, wall or a fence, I guess you could say, kind of like mm-hmm. surrounding a yard, um, usually made out of mud and dirt. You can't see through it or anything. And so all the good guys are kind of hunkered in this compound and uh, this helicopter's trying to get in. Um, the helicopter couldn't land outside the compound because every time he tried to land outside the compound, he would get shot at. And so he tried to make a landing inside the compound walls. And as he did, uh, one of the rotor blades clipped one of the walls. And so he was unable to take off again. Uh, and so wow. now there's this downed helicopter inside this compound. They are completely surrounded and it's getting worse. Like there are bad guys coming from all directions. They're starting to lob in mortars now, not just small arms fire. Like it is real bad in that process. Uh, one of the guys who was on the radio before we got, we showed up had got shot through the wall and got shot in the leg and he was bleeding out. That was one of the guys they were trying to rescue. And so one of the pararescue men jumped out of the helicopter. He was treating him to try to keep him from bleeding out. And now the guy on the radio was not the number one guy on the radio. So he kind of got thrown into this situation. And so that I think played into a little bit of his stress level, Mm -hmm. of course. So we're just trying to figure out one where they are that ended up being easy to find through our targeting pod because it was the one compound that had a helicopter. In it. <laughs> True. So we yeah. found out where they were, uh, <laughs> but then we just don't know where the bad guys are. I mean, we're seeing muzzle flashes and smoke from mortars and stuff, but we're just trying to figure out where they are. They can't, every time they try to, the good guys try to look over the wall to figure out where we need to drop our bombs. They're getting shot at, so they can't find them. Um, and we're all, this is taking place for a while. And now both of us are getting kind of to the point gas wise where one of us needs to go fill up um, and come back. So the other one has enough gas to go after he gets done. Mm-hmm. So I start, we start talking about that. Hey, we're getting low on gas. Where are these guys? They finally point out a couple different locations where we think they are. We get set up uh, to drop some bombs. Meanwhile, there was a, Two F-16s that were on another mission that had gotten called over and arrived just prior to us getting there. And they were going to drop a bomb where they thought bad guys were, but they had a malfunction on the bomb and it ended up being a dud. Uh, So it hit the ground, but then it blew up. But then they were out of gas. They had to go home. So that's when we show up. So no bomb had been dropped other than this dud. So they, the guys on the ground had no help at this point. So... We finally decide, okay, well, we see stuff coming from this direction. This is the closest building to you guys. They're probably the most dangerous. Obviously, the conversation didn't go like this. It was a lot of yelling and pointing stuff out and reading off coordinates and trying not Mm -hmm. to hit the other airplanes in the stack. But we finally decide where we're going to drop a bomb. Um, I was going to drop the first bomb, and my flight lead was going to laze it in. So we were dropping bombs that were both GPS guided and laser guided bombs. We could drop them GPS guided, but we also could fire a laser just to make the accuracy even more, like make it more accurate and make sure that the coordinates weren't potentially just slightly off because we're pulling these coordinates from using our targeting pod and doing other Mm -hmm. things. 
So anyway, he was going to laze it in. I was going to drop the bomb. They needed it like a long time ago. Uh, but they were like, just go out there, drop the bomb, all this formal procedure stuff to make sure no good guys get hit. Whenever we drop bombs, they clear out everybody in the stack below us. So our bomb as it's falling doesn't accidentally randomly hit another aircraft below us. And through all the chaos, he did that. I went out a few miles, turned back around to drive in and drop my bomb. And I'm looking at the target through my targeting pod, the camera. And right whenever I'm about to drop the bomb, hit the pickle button, I literally see right over the building I'm dropping on, a U.S. helicopter fly right over the building. And so I aborted the pass right away. I didn't drop the bomb and I turned right back around to go out and get set up to come in and drop it again. And I told my flight lead in the JTAC, I was like, look, there are still people in the area. Get them out of here. I'm not dropping this bomb without knowing that it's not going to hit someone. And my flight Mm -hmm. lead did a great job of de-conflicting with the helicopter pilots on the radio, as well as JTAC. I got set up again. This is all happening in a matter of seconds and come in. um, And as I'm coming in, he gives me the clearance again and says that it's danger close, which is a term we use. I don't know if you've heard it before, Mm -hmm. but it essentially Mm -hmm. tells the person dropping the bomb that this bomb is within a certain distance of friendly people on the ground and that the explosion will affect them in some way. And, Mm -hmm. oh, by the way, don't miss because there's friendly people really close. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of those things that you don't want to hear on the radio because it's it's one thing to drop your bomb out in the middle of nowhere, but it's another and certainly never happens in training where there are good guys on the ground, very close to where you're dropping. Um, So if I wasn't like uh, tense enough hearing those danger close words uh, was a big deal, but I knew there was no, if, if we didn't start dropping bombs quick, they were going to get overrun and there'd be no point us being there. So I turned back around, run in, uh, got cleared to drop the bomb. He told me cleared hot, which is the communication term that we use. And I dropped the bomb. It shacked the target uh, right where it's supposed to hit. Um, And he yelled, good hit, good hit. And for a second, gunfire ceased because now all of a sudden the bad guys on the ground are like, Oh gosh, they're dropping bombs. So it (laughs) ceased for a a matter of seconds and then it started up again and they started shooting mortars. The mortars were getting closer and closer to the good guys. We could see them impacting just closer and closer. And at this point I had already gone past where I probably should have gone to get gas already, but I I wanted to get at least one bomb on the ground. So I Mm. rushed to the tanker as fast as I can. Um, I get up to the tanker aircraft and it's kind of funny, uh, kind of a funny side story. The tanker guys, the, uh, as they say here in the South, bless their heart, <laughs> but they, uh, they're not on these, nothing gets them. They're great dudes, but they're not on this fire spree. So they have no idea what we're yeah, doing yeah, other yeah. than we're, we show up and we want gas. So I, instead of doing what I normally do, uh, we have a couple radios in F-16. I left one radio on the fire streak. So I'm hearing all this chaos, all this communication to make sure I know what's going on when I show back up again. Make sure this young flight lead who I have full confidence in is just doesn't need any uh, second opinion or anything. And I have my other radio on the tanker frequency. And uh, I check in. He's like, hey, man, how's it going? What's the weather like down there? I'm like, Dude, I need gas and I need it now. I'm not going to go through the normal procedures. I'm going to come straight up, hook up, 
I'm going to top it off. And if I need to leave early, I'm going to leave without saying anything. And he was, there was like quiet for a second. He was like, you got it. And that was it. <laughs> and I get up to the boom and I'm like, sorry guys, I'm listening to another radio. Uh, unless you need me, don't say anything. As you can see, I'm already missing one of my bombs. I got to get back there. He was like, yeah. no problem. Take the gas you need and get out. So I rushed back about that time. Uh, my flight lead had gotten coordinates of another target to drop bombs on. Uh, it was his turn to drop. I lays it in for him. We got another bomb dropped. It was still not the mortar location, which we were trying to get because these mortars are just yeah. getting closer and closer. Um, so firing stop for a little bit, 30 seconds again. We're still waiting on the AC-130 gunship to get mm -hmm. overhead because they can provide a lot more firepower over an extended amount of time. And we're limited yeah. on the amount of uh, weapons that we can employ. Um, so I uh, lays his bomb in. We find another target. Uh, I drop my second bomb. Again, not the mortar position that we were hoping for, but they're kind of slowing down because they realize, all right, bombs are dropping, like this is getting bad. Mm -hmm. um, some more fire uh, was coming out of another little hut, and my wingman or my flight lead was having issues with his other um, bomb on his jet that he was just trying to get, get worked out. Well, we needed to continue to lay fire down, and so um, I still had my gun, obviously all my bullets. Um, so I said, Hey, I can go down and strafe that building where you think fire is coming from. And that will, if it doesn't kill them, like it'll scare them at least to stop it. And so, yeah. um, they cleared me for a pass, uh, to go down and strafe this hut where fire was coming from, um, in a different direction. So I dove down, um, on those high angle straight passes, we get about a thousand feet above the ground before we recover. Uh, so that was kind of a whole nother level of excitement. Wow. I guess you could say Dang. it's like I'm <laughs> flying down into all this firefight potentially. Um, and, and strafing that and strafing is one of those things as a fighter pilot. It's, um, it's a, it's a neat thing to do. It's one of those things that puts everything you've learned up to that point. Um, on the line and, and test those abilities that you've had. You got to be precise with it. It's not those bullets aren't guided by GPS or a laser. Yeah. You got to point yeah. that gun right where it needs to be. And you're rushing at the ground at 400, 500 miles an hour. And <laughs> anyway. Wow. Um, so I made <laughs> wow. a strafe pass, um, got back up, uh, to the altitude that we were at at that time, another two ship of S16s checked in and this whole time, it is just pure chaos on the radio. Uh, come to find out they had tried to clear, um, an area between two compounds for another helicopter to land. So they were going to mm -hmm. take a few people, run them across the open to another compound and set up another firing position. So they could basically protect the helicopter from two sides in the process. Um, this part kind of gets me a little bit. Um, anyway, uh, so this guy mm -hmm. was like, well, I'll do it. I'll be the mm -hmm. one that runs out there and gets over to the other compound to get these guys out. Uh, in the process, uh, he was shot and killed right there in between the compounds. Yeah. Um, so they were stuck. They were stuck there. There was no way they were getting a helicopter in. The only way they were going to survive is if we were able to fend off the bad guys long enough, get the gunship overhead, bring in a quick reaction force from a nearby fob, um, and get them out of there. So, 
we stayed on station as long as we could. Uh, we had the most SA, the most situational awareness out of uh, any of the planes overhead because we had been there so long and we had been talking to the mm-hmm. JTAC so much and we knew where our bombs were. Um, it actually helped out whenever the next two ship of F-16 showed up that we were able to point out to them where the bad guys were based on the smoking holes in the ground that we had made. Mm-hmm. It actually gave us some frame of reference as to where the bad guys were and where the good guys were. Mm-hmm. Um, so we gave, we, I was talking to them while my flight lead was talking to the guys on the ground, a lot of communication going on. We helped them set up for their first bomb drop to ensure that it went smoothly and they knew where that was uh, and what needed to go on. At that point, my flight lead is like almost out of gas. Uh, but since that other two ship of S-16 showed up, he went to the tanker as quickly as he could and got gas before he had to uh, divert or something. He got gas, came back on. I kind of helped orchestrate some more stuff uh, while he was gone. And then we got out of there because we were done with our bombs and the next F-16s were coming in uh, with their bombs. Uh, it seemed like... I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. We were on station for a couple hours. Wow. Uh, It was just nuts. And usually on those flights home after a mission, you kind of talk about the mission or talk about what you think the chow hall is going to have for food uh, that night or what movie you're going to go back to your dorm and watch. (laughs) Uh, But for that 40 minute flight, I think maybe two words were said. And that was like, do you have enough gas to Uh, get home? Um, I felt like I had just played like, 10 football games, one right after another mm-hmm. and taking like the hardest exam I've ever ta- taken in school. I was just drained mentally, physically. Uh, I don't know, just muscles being tense the whole time and wow. being on my yeah. highest alert the whole time. But, uh, it was incredible. We get back land, uh, for the maintenance guys, ammo guys, it's always neat for them to see whenever we come back and we're missing bombs. Cause that's their connection to the mission. Right. You know, they prep. So, so much time goes into making sure those aircraft are capable of flying and the bombs um, will work right. And uh-huh. that's like their connection to the mission. So when I shut down the F-16 and popped my canopy and my crew chief came up the ladder, he was like, oh, man, it looks like a great mission, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, I'm sorry. I I, I don't want to talk about it right now. Mm. Um, and so he could see, yeah. I think, that it was a, it was a yeah. big deal. and. We hooked up, uh, talked later and with all the people who were involved on getting the jets ready for that mission. It was, we, we weren't dropping a lot in Afghanistan when we were there. So I actually, I think I dropped, I, that mission was the single most employment from one jet, uh, mm-hmm. while we were out there in the six months, dropping my two bombs and making those straight passes. But, wow. um, it was just an incredibly intense, um, Mission, uh, certainly one I'll never forget. Uh, we got to meet the units of the people who, uh, unfortunately lost their lives in that mission. We mm-hmm. also heard some amazing stories about the guy who got shot in the leg who should have never survived more than an hour because that pair of rescue men had been in the back of that helicopter that was stranded on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He had the training to keep him alive for 18 hours oh my on the ground oh. during this mission, wow. all the way back to Bagram and eventually uh, to Germany. And he survived. And not only that, he was able to um, keep part of his leg, which was a huge wow. deal. So, Dang. Uh, 
Um, wow. just incredible. Uh, it was so humbling to be a part of that. You know, you, in the F-16 or in most fighters, you watch a lot of the fighting through a small TV screen on your, on your dash. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but when there's people yelling and you can hear the, some fear, but mostly just, I got to get this done. Yeah. Like uh, urgency. In their voices. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it gives you a little bit more of a connection to what they do, uh, that I'm very humbled to have, uh, got the opportunity to be a part of. And, um, was just happy that we were able to save the lives that we did. It, it was incredible. Amazing story. Wow. And that was a amazing yeah. uh, mental picture. I just Jeez, painted I'm, I'm like, while you were telling that story. I'm like trying to picture everything. Like, <laughs> yeah. Give me some chills, man. Well, yeah, I wish yeah. Um, I could give more details. A lot of the details, we just yeah. keep it classified just because we don't want it to affect future operations or sure. past operations yeah. or whatever. And um, the names of the people who uh, lost their lives that day, one in particular, um, who tried to make that that run across from compound to compound. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about his name and his family Every year on that day, he uh, had just left his young, recently born daughter. And so now his widowed wife and his young daughter, his daughter is going to grow up without ever knowing, ever meeting his Mm -hmm. dad. And so, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it just really brought the reality of war a little bit closer to me and um, made me more proud of what I do and thankful for the opportunity to get to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people thank mm-hmm. me for my service all the time, but really like I, I need to thank them for giving me the opportunity and the responsibility to potentially be a person to help protect them and stuff. So it was good. awesome. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I wasn't, I wasn't quite expecting something that, touched you personally like that. So we really appreciate you sharing that with us, Jay. That's Yeah, amazing. of course. Um, yeah. Well, and y- y'all and, know this part of me too. I, yeah. I didn't grow up with the military. I don't know anything about it. So every chance I get to talk to someone, whether it's a junior ROTC guy in high school that is dreaming of one day being in the air force, or it's some little kid at an air show or whoever it is, I, I will take whatever time I have available to me and some time that I don't have available, uh, to be honest, mm-hmm. to, to talk to people because I didn't, I didn't experience. So I didn't know mm-hmm. what it had to offer. Um, mm-hmm. and that's another side of it that, that I didn't, I had seen in movies, I'd seen on TV and that kind of stuff. But, um, if I can make that connection to what the people do over there on the ground, sacrificing their life day in and day out, if I can make that connection more real for, anyone uh and mm-hmm. in this great nation i'll do it so right. that's just an, another little connection hopefully someone can make uh to the military absolutely i i'm sure a lot of our listeners will really appreciate what you went into so i want to ask you a question that's kind of related to this um if you don't mind it's it's so when sure. we when we chatted at Warriors Over the Wasatch um, almost two years ago, believe it or not, um, you had mentioned when you were talking about the F-35 demo that 
if this were a real war situation, we would have never seen or heard you. Um, so the, the, the situation that you just described, the, the mission that you just described to us, um, being in an F-35 as opposed to an F-16, do you, do you still, or do you think that you would still feel that, that, that personal connection as deeply as you did with that mission? Do you understand what I'm trying to get at? I okay. do. Yeah. The, the mission that we were doing there in the F-16, it wouldn't be done very differently in the F-35. Okay. Um, so that connection okay. would still okay. be there. Right. Yeah. It okay. wouldn't be done much differently. I mean, there's certain capabilities that the F-35 has that we can maybe stay further away uh -huh. longer, I, but at some mm -hmm. point, uh, we're going to have to get close, gotcha. uh, whether it's to see stuff with any sort of fidelity, uh -huh. distinguish friendlies from bad guys, uh, see the target. I mean, even strafing, like the F-35 has That's a gun true. and we may be called to shoot that thing down at the ground. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't look much okay. different, I don't think. Awesome. All right. I, I was just curious. So, yeah. All right. Uh, wow. Yeah. Ryan, do you have something? Aaron, I I don't know how to top that. To be honest, <laughs> I know. <right? laughs> yeah, I know. I mean that that was intense. I mean I'm I'm you know and I mean I guess I'll be the first to say again. You know, thank you for your service. And I mean, if it wasn't for you guys that day, I'm sure the casualties would have been. Who knows? You know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, the cool thing is. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. I was just. I was gonna just going to say it could have been anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, what yeah. blows my mind is how many stories there are like that every day of the year in an, yeah. in Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, wherever right. it is, uh, and how many times things like that happen. And I, mm -hmm. I didn't do anything special. My flight lead didn't do anything special other than he did an amazing job controlling that the situation and calming everybody down, but we, yeah. we just did what we trained for, right. you know? And I think that's the yeah. coolest thing is that whether it's me and that flight lead who is now a weapon school uh, graduate, a very capable pilot or any other two pilots in our squadron down there would have done the same thing. Uh, I was just fortunate enough to be able to be a part of mm -hmm. it. And I don't know, it's just cool to know that there's a lot of, people doing amazing things out there uh every day so yeah was... definitely um <clears throat> um so i i guess i'll jump in here with another um another question um yeah. after that deployment in the uh f16 came back and then you eventually transitioned into the f35 and and we heard that cool story funny kind of funny story yeah on uh, the last podcast um what how do i phrase this or how do i ask this so what would you say would be i guess the diff the biggest difference uh flying the f-16 versus the f-35 in i guess and we kind of touched on this, you know, kind of in, in the same kind of combat situation. Um, what would you say would be the biggest advantage of flying a fifth gen 
fighter versus a fourth gen fighter, especially uh, air to ground. Um, would it be having more fuel on board? Would it be just more situational awareness to allow you to attack the enemy quicker? Um, what would be the biggest advantage with, with all of your experience, you know, flying the F-16 and the F-35? And yeah. I mean, and you can even throw like a cool red flag mission in there or something if you want to just to kind of explain if, you know. Um, yeah. We could be um, here all day listening to your stories. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say the biggest difference um, is the capability of surprise and in the fiction mm-hmm. and the situational awareness that you have in a fiction platform that I have in the F-35 that I didn't have in the F-16 would allow me to focus more on whether it's dropping the bomb, finding the target, and then dropping the bomb, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. For j- Just mm-hmm. as an example, like when I flew F-16s at Red Flag, since you brought that up, I, I remember mm-hmm. like not having a clue like what was going on out there. I mean, I knew <laughs> what was going on within 10 or 20 miles of me. But outside of that, like from the red air to the surface-to-air missiles on the ground and where the, our targets were, like the amount of situational awareness I had in that versus what I have in the F-35 is just not even comparable. And so mm. there was a mission where in the F-16, mm. one way to mitigate all those threats for us in the F-16 on this one mission in Red Flag was to fly really low. And I, I say really low, 500 feet above the ground um, mm. at about 450 knots all the way from the east side of the airspace, all the way to the west side of the airspace, we were carrying um, actual bombs this day. And so we were going to go all the way super low. So hopefully no one saw us both in the air and the service to air missile operators. But Mm -hmm. I'm really close to the ground. I'm worried about not running into the other aircraft that are flying in my formation. It was a four ship. And... I'm trying not to run into them, trying not to run into the mountains, staying as close to the mountains as I legally can, because anytime I get too high, I can potentially be picked up by an enemy radar. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of things that I'm worried about uh, as I'm flying. And then I have to find my target and drop bombs on the target and do all of that well and figure out who's trying to attack me while I'm exposing myself to do that and then try to make it all the way out of bad guy land. And so the chances of that bomb hitting the target and being success, successful on really the only mission that I'm doing that day that matters, and that's making that bomb hit that target, the chances of that being successful are a lot lower than they would be in like my F-35. I dropped some GB-31, some 2,000-pound JDAMs uh, in the first red flag I flew in in the F-35. Mm-hmm. I... In the same target area that I dropped in the F-16 two years prior, but I did not have near the amount of things to worry about as I was flying into the target. And so I could focus on the drop a whole lot more than I could in the F-16. And so I think the biggest difference in an air-to-ground role is being successful when you really need to be because there are less things Mm -hmm. that you are worried about. For instance, like mm-hmm. even in the F-16, say I knew there was some SAM, service air missiles out there somewhere, but I didn't know exactly where. 
I had to mm-hmm. be ready to react mm-hmm. in a moment of seconds if one of those things targeted me and I needed to avoid it somewhere or another. Yeah. So I'm constantly thinking about that. Well, and I have to make split second decisions in F35. Chances are I'm going to know it's there way before I get to any range where it could be effective against me. And so I can just, again, concentrate on those things that will really make me successful in that moment where it really matters. So I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. What a difference. (laughs) I mean, it it really really is is. like it's eye opening. Um, it, it is, it's eye opening now in a situation like in Afghanistan, flying close air support, um, Mm -hmm. and that particular mission that I just talked about, I don't necessarily know if there'd be a huge advantage in the F-35 other than having a lot more gas, that would be helpful. Um, another weird thing that people don't think about uh, in the F-16, they carry most F-16s active duty, carry the sniper pod. Uh, our mm-hmm. targeting pod on the right side of the aircraft. Well, that's all good until you need to bank left and then the camera can't see through the fuselage of the mm-hmm. jet. So you can't see the ground because oh, yeah. it's on the high side of the plane. Whereas the F-35, the camera is right underneath the middle of the nose of the aircraft. So I can turn left or right and still see the ground. So there's little things like that that allow an mm-hmm. advantage in the F-35 over the F-16. Uh, there's a lot more high quality information that I could have passed to the second set of F-35s uh, coming on station in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes there were missions in Afghanistan where we just couldn't see the ground or we could only see it for fleeting seconds as clouds moved over. But the F-35 can use its powerful radar to generate a map of the ground. So like I can have oh, wow. a perfectly good image of what's down there, even if there's clouds, because my radar can help me out with that. So there's, there's some things Uh even in a CAS environment, a close air support environment that would help you out, I think, in the fitch in. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no (laughs) doubt. I feel like I, yeah, yeah, that's, (laughs) I know we're all like, we, 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 we never shut up and now we can't figure out something to say. We're pretty blown away (laughs) about what you just told us. I know. No, that's speechless. That's uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank well, you for sharing that with us. That's, yeah, that's I awesome. mean, and, and unless you have something else, um, Jay, holy cow! Thank you for taking another hour and a half with us. Uh, Lauren's not making forty yeah. D dinner again, is she? Uh, well, she started <laughs> cooking, and then uh, I think she felt bad for making noise with the pans and stuff, oh. so she stopped. Oh, no, it's all good. I just, I, I just, <laughs> it's all I just thought you were doing dishes while you were talking to us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell her. I'll tell her. That's funny. Um, so I, I, do, I do have uh, one good, like, final question if we're kind yeah. of wrapping this up here. I mean, I, I know, obviously, fast we could go on and on, but I guess there's more podcasts in the future. We would yeah, volume that. three. <laughs> um, so um, with uh, w- what you spoke about and you're in school and, and uh, you're going to be, um, you know, in school for another year after this current one you're finishing up. Um, and then um, you get out of your staff assignment and let's just say hypothetically the Air Force says lays out a piece of paper with any type of aircraft on there. And they said, fast, 
It's your choice. Dealer's choice. Uh, what are you going to fly? Uh, what, what cockpit are you going to climb into? Good question. Man. Now, remember, I, I, we had a story about a certain somebody that you met that has a tattoo of an F-35 on their forearm. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Texas Afterburner on Instagram. Yeah. Um. Man, I don't know. I I love the F-35. Um, I'm kind of – I like a challenge. I like learning the new stuff, the great, the mm-hmm. newest, latest, greatest stuff. Uh, that's what really intrigued me about the F-35. Before the F-35 was around, the F-22 is what I thought I wanted to fly. Um, I, there's just so many different qualities. I think it's more of a quality that I want to experience instead of – or a characteristic that I want to experience instead of maybe an uh-huh. aircraft. Like thrust vectoring is something that I, I just want to see what that's like. And the amount of power yeah. that the F-22 has um, yeah. is just unbelievable. I, I want to know what that's like to be up at 40,000 feet and be able to accelerate as fast as I want to because these two engines will do it and uh, <laughs> be able to just flip over in the middle of – the air with like zero airspeed and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So that'd be a, a crazy opportunity. But then like, I mean, y'all just interviewed uh, the guy from Japan. The F-117 still flying. I guess they did. <laughs> yeah. so like, um, there you go. That would just be a crazy thing if they were like, hey, we need some like people who know stealth and want to go out and fly some cool aircraft. Like that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what, I, the B-21 is going to be I, up and running. I was just about to say, future. like, if I hold true to to my desire to just fly the latest and greatest things, then the B-21 uh, might might fill that for me. I, and, and then the B-2, I mean, who wants to sit yeah. in the cockpit for 40 hours? Not me. But <laughs> if I could say yeah. uh, <clears throat> that I flew the B-2, I mean, uh, that would be incredible. Um, yeah. So any, so, uh, I don't know. That's a any tough. upcoming uh, pilot opportunities in the new space force. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They've been jo- of course, all that came out while we're here at school. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And so everybody's joking around about it and stuff, but I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll fly the first, uh, w- what is it from star Wars? The first the X-wing. Uh, the X-wing. Yeah, the X-wing. <laughs> yeah, if they want to. Well, X-wing. but that actually um, poses exactly. a serious question because there, you know, several of uh, NASA's astronauts have come out of the military. You know, a lot, especially out of the Air Force. Yeah. And is that a career path that you would ever consider if something like that was presented to you? Uh, potentially. I've kind of like not thought about uh-huh. it much. Uh, I wouldn't say I've like just disregarded the opportunity, but I'm kind yeah. of past that point in my career. There's a couple different doors that most uh, astronauts go oh, okay. through. Um, one, it's like getting to test pilot school. I decided not to pl- apply to test pilot school. I was thinking about doing it uh, along with the Thunderbirds, mm-hmm. potentially, if I didn't get into the F-35. I just wanted to try something uh-huh. different. Uh, mm-hmm. But whenever I s- did not apply to that, I'm past the age now where I could apply to uh, that. That, gotcha. that all but kind of seals it. Not that you have to go to test pilot school, but there's a certain yeah, path that you right. need to take. And I'm kind of yeah, veered I, away from I, that. But Yeah, I, I think most of the astronauts that, that I know about, they all have uh, test pilot school. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. under their belt. Yeah, that definitely. And they're way smarter oh. than I am. Uh, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> well, but I, I do hear that. I don't know. About I do that. hear that being a test pilot nowadays is a lot safer than it was back in, say, the 50s and the 60s. Oh, way better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, really. Way yeah. better. Uh, I can't imagine uh, what that was right? like. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, but I mean, but even think, I mean, yeah, the risk was insane, but some of the machines that those guys flew, you know, oh, I know. just, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, that's fascinating. And me. just that whole thing of getting to fly things that people don't even know exist. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, right. I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm a part of this organization here at school. I won't, uh, go into all of it, but. Part of the organization is we bring in uh, kind of big heavy hitters in air power history. Um, and so they can, we, we interview them in front of our entire class, our, the 500 students out here. And uh, we actually interview them, transcribe the interview and make a book about them and stuff. But anyway, oh, wow. I had the opportunity. Uh, one of the Eagles selected was actually my uncle by um, marriage, not by blood. So a couple iterations away, mm -hmm. but I'm related to him in a roundabout way. But I went and interviewed him and there were stuff about his career that I, I didn't, I didn't realize some I knew, but some I didn't. He is like the fighter pilots, fighter pilot. He like the stories <laughs> oh, wow. he had. I mean, he was a misty pilot. Do you know what a misty pilot was in Vietnam? Mm -hmm. no. Um, they were the, they were flying the F 100. They started this then classified mission they were misty facts, Ford air controllers, and they would go into North Vietnam and find targets and bring other people in and other fighters to drop bombs on them. Very dangerous mission. Um, oh, wow. I think like a third of them never came back. He actually got shot, was able to get out over the water before he had to eject uh, and got rescued. So he wasn't a POW, mm -hmm. but that whole crazy story. Then he went on to fly A7s at Myrtle Beach when they switched over to the A-10 so he oh, was wow. the first operational A-10 pilot wow. um, oh, ever and, yeah, and was a, an a, the first A-10 demo pilot put on a show for like the Princess of England or something, like just crazy oh, wow. stories. He was a weapons <laughs> oh, school God. graduate in the A-7 and then went on to be the squadron commander of the 422 and at the time was dual called in the A-10 and the F-16. He flew like early models of the F-16 for the 422. Wow. Then oh, he wow. went across the street and became one of the first operational test pilots for the F-117. Oh. Um, oh, back when gosh. no one knew they existed. Yeah, before you've got to be No one knew me. they existed. Wow. Um, and then he went on to fly the F-16 some more. But like, talk about a career and the different kinds of flying he oh, did from being yeah. shot at in Vietnam, getting shot down in Vietnam to flying the first ever stealth fighter that no one knew about. I mean, it's just unbelievable, <laughs> wow. his career, but. Oh my gosh. I'll have to, y'all have to get I him on the podcast. I was going to say, that someday. sounds like, oh, he that has some man, stories. stories. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we're already yeah, well, we're, forever in your debt for joining us. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to, we're going to have to step our game up a little bit to get him on there, but that would be an amazing, <laughs> that would also be an amazing journey to just, listen to him as well yeah his one quick story is so funny he was he got a yeah. pilot slot he went to the citadel got a pilot slot he's awaiting to go to pilot training and he gets a call from some tech sergeant 
at the assignments uh, squadron and the, he was like, all right, we're sending you to nav school. And he's like, no, you're not. I'm going to, to pilot training. I got a pilot slot. Um, <laughs> and he said, well, uh, no, sir, I guess you don't uh, realize this, but uh, you didn't pass your flight physical. And he's like, the hell I didn't. Do, do you know who my uncle is? And uh, he rattled off the the senator who was uh, the chair for the uh, Armed Forces mm -hmm. Committee. Like oh. he was the chair of it, a senator. He was like, he's my uncle. And if I don't go to pilot training, you're going to be hearing from him. And he was like, uh, hold on a second, sir. Hold on. <laughs> and so there's a, a, a pause on the phone. And a colonel gets on the phone. He's like, Jenny, uh, uh, Lieutenant Jenny is his uh -huh. last name. He was uh -huh. like, so uh, you didn't pass a part of your flight physical. Um, I just found out uh, who you're related to. I'm going to, I need you to get in the car, drive down to Brooks Air Force Base, and we're going to get you another uh, physical and make sure that your eyes are good. And he was like, all right. So he goes down there and he passes the eye test. The eye test, he thought he passed it the first time, but he said the person giving the test didn't do it right. Oh. But he took the test and passed it. And the guy giving him the test was like, well, hell, I was ready to lie for you, but you passed. <laughs> so he, he was like, I told you. So anyway, yeah. uh, he gets to go to pilot training and I'm laughing about it. He was like, yeah, the best part of the story is that guy's not my uncle. I was like, what? He goes, oh, dang. He goes, no, but I'm from South Carolina. Everybody's your uncle in South Carolina. So why wouldn't he be? <laughs> He, oh, oh, he's got some good stories. And little did he know, just oh, that that, that one decision funny. sure changed his path, right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Well, That's I mean, so funny. Wow. whatever it takes, funny. right? Yeah, whatever it takes. <laughs> That's amazing. That's cool. That's great. Well, well, yeah, we'll wow, have to do well, this yes. again. Definitely. And not yeah. so long between... Uh, Definitely, volumes. we'll get volume three. And yeah. uh, yeah. hey, and, and next time, if uh, if Lauren's feeling up to it, we'd love to have her join on for a few minutes, or for the whole thing, for that matter. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, she probably yeah, yeah. tell her we don't we yeah. don't want to leave cool. leave her out. It would be you good know? to and, yeah. And I and obviously we'll all say thank you, but it's it's so awesome to just have you on, man. It's it's really is an honor to have you on and just chat. And this is the kind of stuff. This is the reason we do this kind of stuff is because we're just, we like other yeah. people to hear it, but at the same time, we're, <laughs> we're pretty, we're pretty intent on everything you're saying. And it's just, it's just fun and we appreciate yeah. it. And we're the ones that actually get to talk yeah. to you. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah you know, that's, that's the awesome I, part. I go around or, or go. sometimes telling people fast that like, <laughs> you know, obviously, I would consider you a friend, but if I am talking to someone about fast, who's the F-35 pilot, I'm talking like we grew up together and stuff just because I, just because yeah. I feel so cool to be able to do this with you. So That's I know, I know That's it's awesome. a story. Yeah. We were out at Hill Air Force Base with him and he was doing flyby. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 Sweet. So, That's it's great. Well, well, yeah, it's good hearing y'all's voice too. It reminds me of, Reminds me of home, uh, my yeah. home in Utah. Yes, yeah. Well, that's yeah. great. Well, hey, do us a favor, please. Um, uh, tell Lauren thank you for what she is doing. You know her part uh, every single day yeah, to help make absolutely. the world a better place. And and obviously, 
thank you for your service. I know Aaron said yeah. it earlier, but uh, uh, it's uh, yeah. I know you don't like uh, stuff like this, but uh, it's an honor to know you and thank you again for for uh, taking time to uh, hang out with us. It really is my pleasure. And I'll pass those words on to Lauren. It's it's kind of neat being on the other side of the, the coin. She's sacrificing way more than I am these days and in some ways putting her health on the line mm -hmm. too. And it's really cool to see her, her excel and do as well as she's doing and the impact she's having on, on kids in the Montgomery area. So it's been neat. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. And and then just as we sent, as we do the send off here uh, fast, go ahead and mention where people can look up that Eagles Foundation or, or oh, yeah. whatever whatever it's called. Just tell people where they can go to find that and they can donate and get involved in any way. Yeah. So um, our website is gatheringofeagles.org. Um, okay. And you can also look up Gathering of uh Gathering of Eagles on Facebook as well. We're on Instagram, Twitter, um, all the social media platforms, uh, on the website. Uh, sorry, I told you the wrong website. Um, we had to change some things. So That's okay. it is goefoundation.org. Uh, GOE stands for Gathering of Eagles. So goefoundation.org. Um, and on any of those social media websites or uh, the actual website, uh, there'll be links to donate. Uh, the reason that we ask for donations, we're a nonprofit organization, and then we give scholarships to kids, uh, underprivileged kids in the local community, and just try to promote aviation um, and other science, technology, engineering, mathematic career fields for them. Uh, we're actually raised enough money this year to send 44 students down to National Flight Academy in Pensacola, Florida. Um, oh, wow. But that's great. it got called off right, but like yeah. two days before they were going because of all this stuff. But yeah, we True. give ROTC scholarships, uh, scholarships to Space Academy up in Huntsville, Alabama to Space Camp. And anyway, um, we're a nonprofit. So any donation helps, whether it's a dollar or more, uh, we'd appreciate it. Um, more more money we get, the more kids we can expose to aviation who would never get exposed to this kind of stuff. So, oh, great! Sounds like a perfect cause, definitely. Yeah, it's That's a great awesome. cause. Um, it's been really neat to be a part of. Awesome. It. Yeah, we'll we'll be sure to uh, mention that link um, in our uh, podcast headliner on Instagram. And thank you guys uh, for donating as well. It was. It was really neat. Oh, definitely. We, we put in our meetings, we post uh, any donations that we uh, get in. And that was early on in our fundraising. And y'all were one of the first ones up there. And you're like, who are these people <laughs> in Utah giving us money? And I was like, these are three <laughs> awesome dudes who I knew from way back when who love aviation and uh, are willing to help out when they can. So thank y'all very much. Well, for that. we're, we're cool. honored. Anything you're attached to, we're on board. So. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. That was good. <laughs> All right. Well, All I think right. maybe we might let well, Ask go have some dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Get something to eat. But it was a blast. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for that. Absolutely. And thank you. Yeah. Hey, thank and, you. And uh, awesome. looking forward to next time. Yeah. Till next time. All right. Take care. Be safe out there. Okay. Stay healthy. 
Y'all too. All right. See ya. There you have it. Thanks once again to Major J. Fast Durfler for spending some time with us today. Don't forget, everybody, you can catch the Ramcheck podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating wherever you can and uh, share it with your friends. Also, if you're holed up or hunkered down in your home, uh, right now, and you're looking for something to do, you've binge-watched everything that you can on Netflix, Disney+, Plus. you caught some of those awesome season one episodes of Picard, whatever it is, go back and start with episode number one. We've got 30-some-odd episodes for you to listen to, something to do while you're hanging out. Just check it out. Also, don't forget... The Ramswag store is always open. You can order your favorite hashtag RCG Ramswag. And of course, uh, make sure you check out our website, rampcheckreport.com. For Tony, Aaron, and Ryan Rumfollow, I'm Tony with the Ramcheck Podcast. Stay safe out there.